This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week is all about the king and the big blue boy scout. It's episode 461 of the Down and Nerdy podcast. I'm James Witham, and I get to talk about a couple of great shows this week with some amazing people like Chad L. Coleman, who is here this week to talk about playing Bruno Mannheim on Superman and Lois. But while we've got him, I'm going to talk about the Orville another film that he's debuted at South by Southwest recently, and I'll even try and sneak in something about The Wire talking to him as well. And then we also have... The showrunner and executive producers and the co-creator of Agent Elvis, which is now streaming on Netflix. Mike Arnold is going to join me and John Eddy as well. Some real great insight into the king himself in this amazing series. It's been a lot more in the making than you might think it is. I'm also going to talk about the finale for season one of The Last of Us since it's been out for almost a week. Going to do that with spoilers. Talk about Boston Strangler from Hulu. There's some Superman and Flash movie news and heck of a lot more to discuss as well. Let's get right into it, shall we? Let's get to Chad L. Coleman. He's talking about Superman and Lois, and I can't wait for you to hear what he has to say next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey guys, this is Wole Parks from Superman and Lois, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast with James Witham. Superman and Lois, one of the hottest things on our list right now because it's an amazing show. Loved it from the beginning, and one of the best additions to the show this season is undoubtedly this guy playing Bruno Mannheim this year, Chad Alcoman. Chad, how you doing? Doing fantastic, man. Living my best life. You and me both, my friend. Now, you've had been a part of a bunch of amazing fandoms over the years. I mean, The Walking Dead, The Expanse. I mean, the list goes on and on. So how excited were you to return to the realm of DC and Superman and Lois? Oh, incredibly excited. And, you know, that's my MO. Come in third, I'm the third season guy. <laughs> that is true, actually. I mean, many of my shows, that's when I show up and turn it up a notch. So incredible group of folks, obviously amazing showrunners, wonderful actors and crew. Had an amazing time in Vancouver. 
for five months, greatly anticipating this. It's going to be a thrill ride through and through. No doubt about that, man. There's a lot of layers, though, to your character of Bruno Mannheim. What's the thing that intrigued you about him the most? That people perceive him as a villain, but he's a straight up family and community guy. It's not about just mayhem or real intimidation. He's just a formidable human being that's it's he, he's got to face what he's got to face, but his heart is is huge and his love of family and community is there through and through. That's the driving force behind him. I'm sure that's definitely true. We'll get a chance to find more out, out more about that as the season progresses, I'm sure. So yeah. we know we know based on the tease at the end of the uh, at the end of last season that it was Bruno Mannheim that actually killed the John Henry of the current earth that you're on now. So how much are we going to get into the backstory of that this season? And how surprised is he going to be when he sees the John Henry's just kind of walking around, you know, breathing air again? Well, I have to tread lightly, bro. <laughs> Sounds like it's a little give it, give away something territory for me. I, I'm telling you, it, it's all heaped on the plate and, and large portions and, you know, there's no backing away from any of it. No doubt about that. I actually talked to Wally Parks last week, and he talked about how great it was being able to work with you this season and how intense things are going to get. So how would you say it was working with him on, in this come, upcoming season? The same. Uh, we, we briefly crossed paths on All-American. Yep, he said that. Yep. He's always been just a, an upstanding, cool dude. I, I dig the brother. He's good people. But this one, yeah, man, we're going toe-to-toe. It's heavy. It's heavy and dynamic and heartfelt. We're looking forward to that clash if and when it comes, no doubt about that. But based on the comics alone, we know that Mannheim's obviously no fan of Superman. So how soon are we going to find out just what his beef is with the Man of Steel on this show? Well, that's where this whole social political overtones, undertones come into play with what the showrunners have come up with. It's very deep and very layered, and it's amazing. But, you know, he's a self-made man that came from the backwash of South Metropolis. Nobody gave a damn. And so he had to pull himself up by his bootstraps and suffer through a lot of heartache and pain. And just when you feel discarded and you got you got to scratch and claw to become something he was able to do that you know he, he's not particularly fond of superman for for many reasons so he can't identify with somebody just running around you know oh you stopped the train uh what does that have to do with real life and impacting people's lives so you know he has a very strong position when it comes to that you will find that out real quick <laughs> I will say this, and we definitely won't give away any spoilers here, but you have a great scene with Tyler coming up in the second episode of this season that I think is really, really intense, and I loved it. I've already gotten a chance to see it, so I don't want to spoil anything, but how much do you remember about that scene and how it really kind of sets the tone going forward? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's it. And they, they I don't know, I'm not a thousand percent sure if that, I thought the, the showrunners and producers created this kind of dynamic because of the fact that I'm playing the role an African-American male is playing the role. So there's all these implications from it. And yeah, it, it, was, it was incredible. And Tyler is amazing. I love his Superman and I love the man himself. He's a leader and he's a very kind, 
California guy who's really, really cool to work with. I wish we had more time to hang out. We didn't get a chance, you know, both very, very busy this season. So we never got a chance to really hang, hang, but he's a great dude. We had some good laughs on the set and between all of the tumult. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a cool dude. All I know is, is when I'm sitting there and I'm watching something by myself and out loud, I just go, wow, that's what I did during that scene. So I really can't wait for people to see it because I just, that, that chemistry between you two, that tension, it was real. And I it was so amazing for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we were going for. You know what I mean? And I think the landscape, you know, DC, you and landscape is, is going to be all about that kind of grounded power and, and real realness, you know? and these train wrecks that are coming you know it's incredible oh i i can only imagine now we did see this at the end of the first episode so so no no spoilers here but we see that bruno has a little bit more than intergang in his disposal so how powerful an asset is a character like onomatopoeia going to be for him and could we maybe see more allies in future episodes well i i don't want to i'm not going to get into too much of that i just say he has a formidable team and the man knows how to put things together to get ish done. <laughs> Literally and figuratively, if you've been watching Absolutely. this season so far. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, actually, it was funny when I talked to Wole, he, he was saying that you all just got done filming the finale recently, which which has got to be really, really cool. So do you feel like kind of this season sort of does it wrap up the story? Well, do you think fans are going to be happy with what they see once it's all said and done? No, without question. Without question. This is this is a tour de four season you know our showrunners are, are truly truly a game the fans are, are, they're not even know what to do with themselves it's, it's that good it's that good so chad we know that from based on this first episode too that it's it's lois that's been trying to track bruno down and gets you know get some dirt on him for a while now so how much tension is there between the two of them coming up this massive, season as well massive massive it's massive you can cut it with a knife when when you see us engage each other, it's incredible. But it's what they've been able to piece together, though. It's, it's not just this. It's, it's ideology and character integrity and where you came from and how you become who you are. And, and, and just it's so layered that it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to see it. We saw, of course, you years ago played the, Tobias Church on Arrow. Now, of course, you're back playing Bruno Mannheim for Superman and Lois. What are some of the differences there in being on a show like Arrow and being on a show like like Superman and Lois? I know the characters are certainly ha- have differences, but what was the experience like for you di- different this time around? No, I don't think there's much difference. That that it was a, a family feel, everybody driven, everybody bringing their A game. I think yeah, no, from from the action to the drama you just had a team of folks who were super committed. So I, I felt, I felt a, a, a harmony in both of the, in those experiences. So yeah, I didn't really, with James Bamford, you know, that's, that's a, a stand-up dude. The vibe felt the same. So that's what we had over there on Arrow. And then, you know, I felt the same thing on this set and, you know, and Tyler, between Tyler and Steven, you know, Tyler and Steven are a little bit different that 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 Tyler's more of a, a, a jokester and you know laughing and Steven's pretty quiet and intense most of the time until I force him out. <laughs> yes, yes, which you I, do. Which I tried to do 
<laughs> on several occasions. But Tyler's always game for a good laugh, you know, and just that, you know, that that onset banter vibe, you know. He's a, he used to be a baseball player. Oh, that's interesting. I well, I'll have to ask him about that if I get a chance to talk to him here for this season for sure. Yeah, I got to talk to him about that. But yeah, and he's the Cali kid. He's a Cali kid. Yeah, de- oh, oh, most definitely, most definitely. So, so Chad, speaking of finales, man, when I heard that you were coming on the show, I knew I had to ask you about the Orville. I know that things are very much still up in the air right now, but how much are you hoping to bring Clyden back for at least one more season? Oh, I'd love that more than anything. We 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 opened up Pandora's box, if you will. There's so much more to explore with my daughter and and our relationship. And I I just hope we don't leave it on the table because it's a hell of a show, man. They've had some promising talks, but you know, there's a lot going on at all these studios right now. It's just so many shifts and you know, power dynamic differences. And so we'll see. I, I again, I tell the fans just the way Kazan Bar was able to mobilize the fan base to get the expanse on uh, Bezos uh, Amazon. I, the fans have to really show that passion and 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 they have to be able to part of it is them being able to see just the force of the fans behind it. so I, I would just, say to the fans, you know, try to come together and and put together a a movement for it that shows up in numbers. And then, you know, that may help too. Yeah. We're going to have to organize the masses for that for sure, because we definitely can't let this show go. You were recently at South by Southwest though, and you actually got to debut one of your your new films that you're in, the the Angry Black Girl and Her Monster, which is kind of like a Frankenstein story, which I think is really neat. So tell us a little bit more about it. And what was the fan reaction like at that premiere? It had to be amazing. It was. It was incredibly amazing. That experience, I will never forget. This is a very powerful, necessary film. So, yes, it's it's taking on the Frankenstein story and reimagining it through the eyes of a young Black girl. And all that comes with that. It's a lot of social political dynamics to it. He's put together a hybrid that's unique in and of itself because it never backs away from that stuff. And it doesn't try to just go all gore, but you know, you you got the gore, you got the social political, and you got the family, and and then and then the fact, not unlike Hamilton, you know, that you reimagine it through this culture, these specific people, and how it elevates or changes or makes it more intriguing to watch this thing. He's done a masterful job of it. It it it, it it's clicking on all levels and you do walk out of that theater with a, a real ache for marginalized people. And hopefully someone will say, what can I do? How can I help? And, and that's not easy to do in a horror film. No, it's not. And I can't wait for, for to get a chance to see it myself and for others to see it as well, because I think it is going to have that powerful impact. Chad, you before I look- love it. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I, I'm, I've seen some reimagined Frankenstein stuff before. I'm really looking forward to seeing this one and how it goes just a little bit that I've seen of it. So. Yeah. Chad, before I let you go, this is going to be a tough one. So if you could okay. only bring back one, who would it be? Tyrese or Cuddy Wise? Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that is a tough one. We're going to do a cliffhanger on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. No, here's, here's the answer. I am developing a television show about Dennis Cuddy Wise. So that's oh, that is, such, that is such great news because yeah. that character, man, 
it just sticks out for me. Yeah, but now this is the real guy's story. The story you saw was actually Calvin Ford, who is, you know, a champion trainer of Javante Tank Davis, who, when I got the role on the wire, they told me to go hang out with Calvin. And uh, there was a little seven-year-old boy in there pounding away. I was like, who is that? He said, that's going to be my champion. Cut two. He's a world champion. So that was Calvin Ford's story. I'm going to tell the real Dennis Cuddy wide story that you only, it was hinted at about him being muscle, you know, and mm -hmm. that he was incarcerated. You know, he came out of incarceration. Well, Dennis really did 38 years. So there's a lot more to unpack about who this man was. And uh, we're going to take it on. And D Watkins, who did, he did, uh, we own this city with, with David with David Simon. He's he's the lead writer on it. So we got we got something amazing putting together with me, him, and uh the real Dennis Cuddy Wise coming to a streaming near you at some point in the future for sure. Wow, wow, that is such big news. I'm so happy to hear that. We'll keep we'll keep an ear out for that, but also make sure we're watching Superman and Lois every Tuesday night on the CW yes. and once again the next day on the CW app because this guy is is digging deep into Bruno and Manheim. Let me tell you. Chad L. Coleman, thank you so much, man, for the time. I really appreciate it. Much appreciated always, brother. I'll see you on the next one. And I don't know about you, but after talking to Chad L. Coleman, I'm excited about a lot of different stuff that he's got going on. And number one among those right now, because it's happening right now, is Superman and Lois, because his Bruno Mannheim is so intense and so personal. And I think you're going to get to see that more and more as these episodes start to air throughout the season. And I think this could be one of the better villains for this show up to this point. Again, thanks to Chad L. Coleman for joining me to talk about Superman and Lois. This week, up next, we're going to talk about something a lot different, and that's Agent Elvis from Netflix. I'll have the showrunner and series co-creator, Mike Arnold and John Eddy. They're up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yo, this is Greg Sipes, Teen Titans Go. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy, 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 Nerdy Podcast. Nerdy, Nerdy, Nerdy Podcast. This guy's the biggest nerd you ever met nerdiest of the nerds this week elvis is in the building because agent elvis is now streaming on netflix and uh, last week i actually got a chance to talk to co-creator and executive producer of agent elvis that is john eddie and showrunner executive producer mike arnold as well about the show and there's just so many great things that we got to chat about matthew mcconaughey being the voice of elvis and some insight into the series here's my conversation with the fellas Alrighty, guys let's just jump right into this agent elvis coming to netflix on march the 17th so excited for it i just loved how unique and fun this concept for the show was from the very beginning so talk for a little bit about how the idea came about and how this all came together this is john speaking i pitched the idea to priscilla in 2012 and it was inspired by the famous photo of Elvis meeting Nixon and wanting to be a DEA agent and going undercover to battle the counterculture and the drugs and everything that was taking over America at the time. And so that was the initial spark. And then the reason why I pitched it to her as an animated, an adult animated series was because I'm a huge Elvis fan. And every time I've ever seen an Elvis movie or an Elvis TV series, as good as the acting is, even at this time, you know, the Baz movie hadn't come out. Obviously, they were just starting that up, too, at the time. And it's like, you know, even as the, the best actors who have ever done Elvis, 
you can never get past the fact that they never really look like Elvis. So I thought the only way to do that would be to do it as an animated series. And I pitched this animated series as if directed by Quentin Tarantino. So I wanted there to be violence and sex and drugs because I wanted to capture the time period and, and really get that grindhouse vibe to it, you know? In my first encounter with John is, you know, hearing about the idea and thinking of the notion of Elvis paired with a coked up monkey with a shotgun just sounded like a lot of fun. We just kind of took it from there. Well, you guys were definitely right about that. There's no question. So when I first heard about the show, I think that I had the same reaction a lot of people had. It's like, okay, so who's going to be the voice of Elvis? You guys nailed it with Matthew McConaughey for sure. Why can why will you would you guys say he was the perfect choice? At the core of the show was always the idea of Elvis being cool because Elvis in fact was. He was a very cool guy and that was a notion we always wanted to hang on to. And so we felt instantly like if we were lucky enough to get Matthew somebody with his effortless swagger that we really wanted and somebody who could be that cool frankly without trying. Not as an actor, and he worked hard to perfect that version of Elvis's voice. He really wanted to bring the music of Elvis's voice, as he called it, to life. But also, Matthew has that inherent cool coolness about him. It's real. The guy's cool as shit. In that regard, it really played wonderfully to bring a new voice of Elvis to life that just felt right. And that was all due to Matthew. It was just, it landed absolutely perfectly. Yeah, I mean, it's like we said, you know, there's, there's cool DNA. Elvis had it. Matthew had it. And I think the... I think the beauty of it is like, you know, Mike was saying, like you watch it and after a minute, I stop hearing Matthew and I just hear the character of Agent Elvis, but it exudes the cool of Matthew and exudes the cool of Elvis. So now, and and I think, and, and Priscilla was over the moon when Matthew took the role and I think it just gave such a weight to the project and it took the project to another level when we, when we got someone as badass as Matthew McConaughey to be our Elvis, if that makes sense. No, no, there's no question about that. You nailed it for sure. I got to say, though, guys, if I were to make a drinking game for watching this show, I think it would be to take a drink every time Elvis says, damn it, scatter, because that's yeah. just embedded in my brain at this point after watching the, just the first few episodes. So tease for us a little bit. How crazy is scatter going to be? I think you'll be, I don't know how much of it you've seen, but we made a choice of making sure that scatter's insanity went to a different place and played on a different level from episode to episode. And he was the, every character we felt like had no limits, no boundaries, but more so was scattered than anything else. You could not go too far with him. And as a character, that's fun to write. You know, it's all out there. And uh, the fact that he's actually grounded in a real character, Elvis did have a scatter. And this is obviously an interpretation of that scatter made it even more fun. Yeah, we we always used Hunter S. Thompson as a kind of like a touchstone for Scatter and kind of like he's the it of the whole, you know, wayward generation. He's doing everything bad you can do, you know, and so he, he's got a dark side, but he's also got a playful side. But he's he's he's, he's a little badass Scatter. Oh, yeah. Dark and playful are definitely one way to put it. <laughs> you guys will see it when, when you guys see the show, you'll understand exactly what they talk about that. But. It's funny because we have a lot of familiar faces and situations in this show. And I know that we're not going to spoil anything like that, but what was it like to be able to kind of take some familiar names that people are going to know and locations and, and events and history and stuff like that and sort of put your own spin on it for the show? At its core, that's what we were trying to do, which is march through history. There's a little bit of a Forrest Gump aspect to it and inject Elvis in ways that were unexpected and could also toy with those moments in history. And a lot of it was grounded in a certain reality. And the pilot 
Charlie Manson makes an appearance. And in fact, Elvis was on Charlie Manson's kill list. So we like to be loyal to history where we could and have fun with those little aspects that people may not know. A lot of people know we went to the White House, but of course we do a different spin on what happened in that White House. And that was something from episode to episode and developing the season as a whole, we wanted to maintain throughout. Like, what are we doing in history today? That's something that was really at the core of the show. It was one of the more fun aspects of the show for me, and I think for Mike too, was the fact that we had this huge sandbox to play in. And on one hand, we had Elvis's world and the things that were happening in Elvis's life during the timeline, but then we could also intertwine it with what was going on in history and pop culture at the time. And it's just, and again, there's there's real people throughout history that drop in the the whole season and and I think it I think it's it, we we had a fun time putting those two together and seeing what zaniness and craziness came out of it. It was fun for me too, because I was I was always waiting to see who would pop up next. So it was it was really, really cool to see that as I was watching the this season. But you can't do an Elvis show, guys. You know this without having music be a part of it. Now the Kings is not the only music that we're gonna hear in this season, though, which I thought was really cool and surprising as well. So were the songs kind of chosen to fit the story or were you just trying to capture certain vibes at certain times? You know, a little bit of both, like in episode two, it's a Vegas episode. So people Las Vegas was a natural fit for an Elvis song. And in other episodes where there wasn't such an obvious fit, we were trying to find the Elvis song amongst the broad spectrum. His music runs the gambit of what feels just right for this one. And sometimes there were obscure Elvis songs and sometimes there were more well-known Elvis songs, but we made the choice based on the feel that it gave if it played to a certain episode and combining that with other music, such as The Doors and David Bowie, where we felt together, we're really bringing the the, the feeling of the episode to life. Yeah, we, we absolutely like, you know, we weren't just looking to just throw Elvis music in for no reason. It has to fit the episode, has to fit the, the time period. It has to, and then, like Mike said, we have Bowie, we have The Doors, we have Robert Goulet, we have Jefferson Airplane. And then we also have the wonderful score of Tyler Bates and Timothy Williams, who just, you know, were able to capture the time period for whatever, if we were in Vietnam, if we were in Algeria, if we were, you know, we, we take Elvis places that no one's seen Elvis at before. So I, I think, you know, it, we have all the needle drops of all the hits that people might, and also the obscure Elvis songs, but then we also have this score that they really did a great job capturing, you know, our, the, the vibe and feel of where we're at in, in history. And we also have one little moment that I remember where Ed Helms, who voices Robert Goulet, actually sings his own version of a Robert Goulet song that he invented in his head. It, it's pretty special. Wow. It's great. It's fucking great. Ed Helms, Ed Helms knocked out of the part. Knowing Sean. that now, after seeing it, that makes it even better for me. <laughs> I, love I, I, I like to joke that Ed Helms is a better Robert Goulet than Robert Goulet. He was Ooh, just wow, <laughs> that's a hot take, hot take there, Mike. Very hot take. <laughs> he was perfect. He was absolutely perfect. Before I let you guys go, you know, it's not just about the attitudes, not just about the music. You got to have that iconic look for Elvis as well. So, how great was it to have an asset like John Varvatos on board, and also the amazing Robert Valley to bring this whole thing to life? Yeah, I was, uh, th that's been it. Like Priscilla and I first pitched it to Sony Animation in 2014. And the first character designs, like potential character designs we got were from Robert Valley. And we were like, we don't want to see anybody else. This is the look of the show. 
like you know he's just amazing he's just his own he's in his own world in his own stratosphere as far as that goes and so taking that and what he did and we built a whole show around that look like this terms of backgrounds and having it fit it was all based from the first early designs that valley did of elvis and the other characters and any any major cameo we always went to robert again if it was someone like timothy leary etc like robert did the main character designs and then varvados yeah that was like a that was like a swing for the fences we just we like he's he's a rock and roll clothing designer he's a badass he's like you know if you're gonna go you know lenny kravitz where's john you know john varvados you know so it's like it was just like i said a swing for the fences would you be interested and we were just over the moon when he said yes so yeah. and in many ways the entire show at every turn was a swing for the fences i mean we we could not believe the cast we came up with and it was at every turn say let's just take a shot see if we can get them we did not expect to get everybody from you know matthew to don to, to caitlin to johnny knoxville to nisi on down the cast but every time we just swung for it and we were very, very fortunate. And Robert Valley in particular, such a singular style. He's kind of a like an Elvis of animation by himself. And we were really loyal to those initial designs he did. So this is the look of the show. Let's try to bring it to life throughout. And I, and I really think it was, it was the combination of, you know, the power of Elvis, you know, with the combination of power of Elvis, the cool of Matthew, and then the designs of Robert Valley and, and what we were presenting as what this show is going to be. We always said there's the stupid version of the show and the cool version. And we really, that was our touchstone. We have to do our best to make the cool version. We got to make the version that Elvis would have liked, you know? So that was our, that was our goal. And all those swings went right out of the park. As far as I'm concerned, you guys will see when agent Elvis premieres on Netflix on March the 17th. And these guys just did such a great job putting it together. Head writer and showrunner, Mike Arnold, and co-creator and co-showrunner John Eddie, thank you both for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks so much, brother. And one of the things that I can tell you that I loved about Agent Elvis is it is as cool as it is crazy. That's the best way that I can possibly describe it. There's so much going on in every episode, but it has this linear story to it as well that's really, really interesting. And if you know your history and you can you can really appreciate some of the moments that happen in each of these episodes as well. Not to mention, you've seen the trailer. It is a beautifully animated show, so it looks good. It's so fun. It's so off the wall. You got to see Agent Elvis on Netflix. It is now streaming. Do not let this one pass you by because you'll regret it if you do. Again, thanks so much to Mike Arnold and John Eddie for taking the time to chat with me about Agent Elvis. Up next, we're going to go to The Last of Us, talk about that season one finale and all the controversy within. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. 
As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Blue Diamond Phillips from Fox's Prodigal Son, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The point of no return is finally here. The final episode of the first season of The Last of Us has aired on HBO and HBO Max, and I gotta go back and talk about it, give you my spoiler-filled review, because enough time has passed. I feel like I could talk about this with spoilers. And I want to preface this review again by saying, and I said this during the premiere when I talked about it, I was familiar with the story, but I hadn't played the game before because you know obviously I'm very behind on video games, previous gen console, blah, blah, blah. I won't bore you with the details. But so I got to experience this story for the first time through this show. And it's, it's also made me go back and find certain moments from the game that were put into the show to kind of make that comparison, which there's been a ton of comparisons on YouTube and things like that. So I'm grateful for, for anybody that's making that content. So it's me, it's, it's allowed me to kind of go back and, and look at those two things. So I understand the world a lot better than I did when I started this, but so I'm going into this finale fresh, basically. I, I'm not really knowing for sure what's going to happen. I, again, I had a vague idea of the story, but I wasn't sure exactly how this was going to go down. And I'm not going to bore you with the details of what happened before. You've been watching the show. You don't need me to tell you that. Because if we're talking about the finale, you're interested in the finale. But I will say that starting off the show with Anna, played by Ashley Johnson, the original voice of Ellie, which I'm sure you already know. That scene in the beginning where she gives birth to Ellie, has to give her up immediately because she's been bitten. And then, of course, Marlene has to kill her because of that. That just, the whole scene from start to finish just gutted me. It absolutely gutted me. And it was such an emotional scene. And I think because I'm a dad, especially of a, of a little girl, it just, I can't imagine in that moment knowing your fate and having to make that decision and having to tell your friend that who you've known since birth that, you know, I need you to kill me. That to me, is just there's so much emotion in that moment, not just for Anna, but for Marlene as well. And, and this poor little girl who's just been brought into this terrible world that didn't get to make any of these decisions, didn't really get to know her mother, anything like that. And I mean, I get choked up just thinking about it right now. It's 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 so incredible. But she was so loved in that short moment. And love is such a huge part of this show in general, but especially this finale, because you see, you know, the culmination of, of this entire journey between Joel and Ellie, everything they've lost up to this point is to make it to this hospital to try and figure out, you know, if there's a cure and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of skipping over some things because, because I, I can't help but focus on the ending, but like the scene with the giraffe was incredible and that came right from out of the game as well. And that was just such a pure joyful moment. And it just showed the love between, between Ellie and, and Joel and the way Joel looks at Ellie in that moment. And also before that, or was a little bit after that. I can't remember when he tells her, when Joel finally tells Ellie how he got his scar in the first place, it was because he attempted suicide and that he, you know, he ended up missing, you know, it was just a, a fluke thing. He misses. And he basically tells her that, you know, she's the reason that, He's, you know, that he's choosing to live on. And that's, it's a huge, huge moment, huge thing for Joel. But then you also look at now he will fight, 
even harder for Ellie because of what happened with Sarah. And that brings us to the hospital and what happens there. And again, if you've probably watched it, you've played the game, you know the story. Of they, He basically finds out that this is not some normal operation that Ellie's going to be doing. To, to Not some normal surgery. This is like brain surgery and so many things to go wrong. Especially since it's not like we're talking about a traditional high-tech hospital setting here. Let's make that pretty clear as well. So Joel basically... You know, they Marlene tries to have him th- thrown out because he knows that she knows that now this is a different Joel, right? This Joel will fight for her because he loves her now. So she tries to get him out of there, and you see Joel just like Darth Vader in Rogue One, just start mowing people down to get to Ellie. I mean, obviously the two situations are different, but it made me think of that, like how Joel is just effortlessly going through all of these you know, armed guards just to get to Ellie and without a hesitation, you even see somebody lay down their weapon and try to, you know, try to surrender and he shoots them anyway. So that tells you he's got this blind, just vision, which is kind of an oxymoron, but he has this, all his only goal is to get to Ellie and make sure no one can come after her after the fact. And he knows all of this, all the way up to the point where he finds her in that operating room and takes out the doctor too, by the way. And then when he gets her out of there and the whole showdown with Marlene, which ultimately ends up and him killing her as well, was he just wants to erase any trace of anyone who would possibly come after Ellie and then has to lie to her after the fact. And I think, and, and you see in her eyes, when he says that he swears that everything he, she, he said to her about the fireflies is true, you can see in her eyes she knows he's lying. She knows. You can tell by looking in her eyes. And that's Bella Ramsey putting on a fantastic performance that she's done all season long. All season long. And Pedro Pascal's Joel as well. But Bella Ramsey, you could tell in that moment, she knows. But her love for Joel supersedes that but her purpose as and this was part of what was the the end of the episode they had a look inside the episode which is great if you haven't seen it yet you might want to go back and watch that where Bella Ramsey says you know like her life's purpose is now is now essentially done for now so you know how does she reconcile that with you know now she has Joel so she you know the the thought of you know him lying to her it's just too painful, so she just kind of goes along with it, basically. And it's so true because, the you know, there's a dark side to love sometimes. And, and as a parent, I can't say what I would do in every situation. And I can't say, and I'm not trying to get dark on you here, but, you know, there's there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't do for my kids. And parents say those things. You know, when, when there's nothing happening, right? You say that when there's nothing pressing, there's no pressing matter in that moment. You say that and you believe it. But then you also know that if anything were to ever go down, you're going to protect your child. And I know that about myself. I know that deep in my soul. And while I'm not Joel, I know that I'd do anything to protect my kids. And 
it's hard to and then this is the debate that's been going on forever did Joel make the right decision because it's basically save one or potentially save the masses and he decides to save one was it selfish you could argue that it was selfish I could see that argument after all he's lost you bought you almost can't blame him just for that reason or maybe you can right because even Marlene said, you can't protect her forever. Maybe that's true. But that doesn't matter to him in that moment. That does not matter to him. And he knows that he could have lost her in that, uh, in that operating room. Or at least, maybe not death, but certainly you know, maybe some sort of side effects to whatever happens during the surgery. Or the after effects of maybe she's not immune anymore. And she ends up succumbing to the virus at some point anyway. So it's almost like he's not willing to sacrifice her to save humanity. And maybe that's selfish. But at the same time, he also, I think there's a small part of him that feels like there has to be another way. Right? He doesn't have to lose her for humanity to survive. And she shouldn't have to sacrifice herself for humanity to survive, even though that maybe is a choice that she would make. This is a debate that's been going on between Last of Us fans for a while. Believe me, I've checked. Like I said, I haven't been deep into the lore of the game, but now that I've gone through this and I've looked through fans' reactions, and even even fans like me who are just seeing this for the first time on the show, the debate now has been reignited. And I'm not going to sit here and give you a side of, like, did he make the right choice or did he not make the right choice, because I actually see the arguments on both sides. But I will say that the fact that this story has been told so well in this show and to be able to spark this debate all over again, almost a decade later should tell you exactly how well this show was done from start to finish. People are saying it's the greatest video game adaptation of all time. It's hard to argue with that. It really is hard to argue with that. And if it, if it's not number one, it's, it's, it's in the top two, for sure, and I want you to tell me which one was better because I'm not sure that, that, that there's really one you can make much of a case for. The Last of Us has been a spectacular success by everyone involved, and the fact that we know now we're going to get a second season, we are very, very quite certain there's going to be a time jump there as well. So I can't wait to see how they tell the rest of the story, and they're definitely going to have a lot to live up to after such an incredible first season. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of The Last of Us Season 1 finale. Up next, we'll switch gears and talk about something out of the pages of history, the Boston Strangler movie from Hulu. I'll talk about that next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Benjamin Percy, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The latest in a chapter of one of the most notorious serial killers of all time. The Boston Strangler is now streaming on Hulu. I want to do spoiler-free review of this, though, because it just dropped. And if you're interested in seeing it, I certainly don't want to be the person that spoils it for you. Now, yes, there have been movies about the Boston Strangler in the past, but this one actually, which is inspired by a true story, obviously, it focuses more on the reporters who sort of broke the case, and Loretta McLaughlin, who's played by Keira Knightley, and Gene Cole, who are, who's played by Carrie Coon. And a lot really, though, of the focus of this, I feel like, is on Loretta. And she's basically, you know, she's on the style section of the paper. 
just trying to do more serious journalism. And I mean, given the time period that this took place, you know, women in journalism were not taken seriously at all for the most part. So she's very much struggling to do something outside of the realm of like fashion and entertainment and things like that. But then she sees Jean Cole is working on an undercover story. And, and, you know, she seems to be working on some things that are that are a lot more serious. And then you sort of see the two of them sort of sort of drift together at some point. Actually, they're almost forced together by their editor, Jack McLean, who's played by Chris Cooper, to work on this story together to because they feel like, you know, Jean maybe brings a little bit more legitimacy to the whole thing. And you sort of see them start start to form this partnership. But also there's a there's always there always seems to be some sort of an underlying tension between the two of them, which I think is really interesting. And you see them really, really go in depth in this movie about how they tried to uncover the story and the, and the, the lengths that they took and all of the details that they poured over. And, you know, you know, from letters and, you know, certain pieces of evidence and certain things, crime scenes and things like that, and how they were digging into this and how at first the police just didn't seem like this was an issue. And that is a whole other story for another for for another podcast that isn't mine. So we're going to focus on this just this movie adaptation specifically. Now, if you're if you know anything at all about the Boston Strangler murders, you'll know that, you know, a whole lot of them have not been officially solved yet, except for the 13th victim. And I won't spoil that for you, just in case you don't know the story that there's a 13th victim that they did identify the killer for. So I won't. You know, take that genie out of the bottle for you just in case you're not super familiar with the Boston Strangler story. But you also see how sometimes the truth is worse is the best way I can I can really put it. So did, was there were there forces that were trying to keep the public from knowing what really happened because that version of it would have been too hard of a pill to swallow, I guess, is one of the things that this movie looks at and again it's inspired by true events so is this word for word what happened you know we can't say that necessarily and of course unless you're in the room or in the situation you also can't be sure of that either right but what this does is take a really hard look at you know what the truth might have been and might be and how the public would have affected that. Because think about it. Back then when the public found out that there was a person that was strangling women. And people were scared to leave their houses. I mean this was back in a time where this was a very different world. I think it's hard to understand that. Living in the world we live in now. It's social media being so prevalent. Cell phones. And all of these other things. None of this stuff was even kind of common back then. I mean this you're talking about like 60 plus years ago. At this point, you're talking about decades ago. And if you're a little bit younger and I'm not old, I mean, I'm going to be 44 years old this year. So I I remember what things used to be like, for lack of a better way of putting, that's the old guy way of saying that. Oh, I remember back in my day, something like that. It's not quite that simple, but it, it was a very, very different world. And how you got your information, too, by the way was from news outlets and newspapers and, and things like that. And, you know, what was the cooperation between these news outlets and, poli- and police forces and things like that? And was there any, you know, w- was there any, you know, ad- attempt to kind of, you know, here's what the narrative is going to be sort of thing. And that's something that this movie 
explores as well. So there were times where I felt like they kind of dragged it out a little bit too much in this movie. And I felt like they were trying to give us more of a personal side to Loretta's story and get into her home life a little bit. I felt like they teased that and then sort of let that go for a while and then sort of brought it back at one point. And you're going, oh, that's right. I'm supposed to care about this too. And you saw the lengths that Loretta was willing to go to to solve this thing and solve this case and help bring it more to light and how it affected her relationship with Jean as well. Pretty much every relationship she had, if you want to be honest. But this really does take a hard, hard look at this Boston Strangler case. And it also allows you to kind of not necessarily draw your own conclusions, but certainly give your own opinions of not only how this was handled, but who might have been ultimately responsible as well. So it leaves a lot that you can kind of, you know, debate about on your own. And Kira Knightley was fantastic, as she always is. I, th- I think Carrie Coon's not going to get nearly enough credit for her role in this as well. She was absolutely amazing, as she again tends to be. And just the pair of them j- just portraying such strong and, and, and just women that will not stop fighting for a cause that needed fighting for was really, really great. So... This movie does look at things from a bit of a different perspective. So if you've already seen some Boston Strangler stories, I think that this will be a little bit refreshing for you and that it doesn't necessarily focus on the killer as much as it is the investigation or how the investigation even came about into these murders in the first place. So Boston Strangler, I think definitely worth a stream on Hulu. I'd be curious to see how you feel about it. But as far as acting goes, some very standout performances that I think you'll enjoy. It's my spoiler-free review of Boston Strangler from Hulu up next. Hey, let's get to some nerd news from this week. We'll dive in next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, what's up? This is writer Sam Humphries, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Time to leap some tall buildings in a single bound. It's time for nerd news. And the Superman Legacy movie, which we now know will for sure be directed by James Gunn, as if there was ever any doubt, For honestly... We know what the synopsis for that movie is now going to be. I'm actually going to read this word for word, which is not something that I usually do, but I'm going to go ahead and do this here because I feel like it's important. Superman Legacy tells the story of Superman's journey to reconcile his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing as Clark Kent of Smallville, Kansas. He is the embodiment of truth, justice, and the American way, guided by human kindness in a world that sees kindness as old-fashioned. And does that not seem like the most perfect synopsis for a Superman movie which will be released in 2025. Given the way the world is now, we could kind of use a movie like this with a hero like this. At least we're, I'm hoping that's what this movie is going to be. I think we're all hoping that's what this movie is going to be. So I think that this is really going in the right direction with the character in a, in a direction that doesn't really... it's time to stop taking Superman so seriously, I guess. And is that a shot at Zack Snyder fans? Maybe. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I feel like the other than Superman and Lois, obviously, which I think is a a wonderful family version of Clark Kent and Superman, you know, a la what Peter Peter J. Tomasi was doing in the Rebirth run for DC Comics, I feel like this is more of the all-star Superman kind of Superman that we're going to get in these movies and that is more focused on, you know, his, you know, push and pull between Krypton and and Earth 
that we haven't really seen maybe ever. I mean, you could make an argument that there was some of that in the Christopher Reeve movies, but so this is a different focus for Clark Kent, for Superman. And, and I think that that's great because you have the family version on TV and who knows how long that's going to last. If it'll even still be around in 2025. But then you've got Clark Kent focusing on Clark Kent, Kal-El focusing on Kal-El sort of thing before he even has a family. And I think that's an important thing to do as well. And, and with James Gunn taking the helm on this thing, it just makes sense because this is going to be probably the first big movie of DC Studios, and this is your baby if you're James Gunn and Peter Safran, so you don't want this to get messed up. You want to take the reins of this yourself for sure, and on July 11th, 2025, we're going to find out, I think, whether or not this whole thing is going to work out because, you know, you, you never forget the first one, right? You never forget where your universe started, and I know it's not where it's going to start because, you know, you got Creature Commandos and other things coming. I get that. This is going to be the one that everybody's going to circle and be like, this is the moment, whether it's going to make it or break it, and we're going to find out how this is going to go going forward. Superman Legacy, I think we've been waiting for a great Superman movie for a while, and hopefully we finally get that. Speaking of movies, let's talk about the Flash movie again, because we have something that just came up from McFarlane Toys, ironically enough, and you know they just released the line of figures. For the upcoming Flash movie, there's a lot of Batman figures in there, which you kind of expect. And, of course, a couple Flash. You've got the Supergirl, Sasha Kelly's Supergirl. And then you've got another one. And this might be a little bit of a spoiler for the potential villain of the movie. So I'm going to just preface it with that. But you've probably already seen the pictures of the new Dark Flash figure that's been going around. And it kind of looks like... The Flash in a symbiote costume, if the, that's the best way I could probably think to put it. So, is this the villain of the Flash movie? Maybe. I know that Eobard Thawne slash Reverse Flash, you kind of expect him to be the villain of this movie. And I'd be a little disappointed, honestly, if it's not. But if we're going to go Dark Flash, and again, this is somebody's take on this too, by the way. This isn't necessarily going to go exactly how Flashpoint went, but if, if Dark Flash is a representation of the Speed Force, because you know when you mess with the timeline and all of these other things, and the Speed Force may just come after you come after you itself, it could be that this Dark Flash character that we're seeing in this figure is the representation of the Speed Force who is coming after Barry Allen for altering the timeline or messing with things, something like that. So it makes sense to have something like this. But again, I think we just kind of expect it to be reverse flash. And we've gotten really no indication that reverse flash is even in this movie. Quite frankly, not that I remember anyway, not that I've seen in anything about this flash movie. So and now does this look like it could be a terrifying villain? Yeah. Looks pretty terrifying. Looks pretty formidable. You know, are we going to see similar powers, obviously speed force powers, things like that. It'll be Interesting to see if we get anything revealed about this character in a trailer or anything coming up now that this figure has leaked. And it's all—it's funny how the toys always seem to be the things that cause these sort of leaks. So, and, and does somebody else play this character? Is this going to be Ezra Miller as well, since it is a Flash character or not? I mean, th there's a lot of questions that come from this. And I, I think that you're almost forcing the hand of the filmmakers and the studio to give you answers when something like this happens. I just don't know how quickly 
we'll get them. So if another trailer pops up, you know I'm going to be talking about that the same week that it does. Speaking of trailers, by the way, I do want to talk about a couple of them. One for The Portable Door, which is going to be coming to MGM Plus on April the 8th. And if that sounds familiar, it is because it is based on Tom Holt's popular seven-book fantasy series. And this, basically the story, it kind of centers around a couple of characters, Paul Carpenter and Sophie Pattengill. They're interns. They're working for this weird, mysterious company, J.W. Wells & Company. And they sort of find out really quickly, this isn't your normal company. And they're looking for this basically magical door that will go wherever you want it to go. You open it, and it'll open wherever you want to go. And you sort of see in the trailer... You sort of see Paul and Sophie doing that. They're going where they want to go. But they were tasked to find this door by someone else, by the way. And that is Humphrey Wells, who is the CEO of this company, played by Christoph Waltz. By the way, Christoph Waltz is everywhere, and as he should be. So so obviously, he's the one that's going to want to find it. And then you see all this, these magical elements in the trailer. And of course, he's upset that they've not only found it, but they've been using it sort of thing. And he wants to take possession of it back and... That is where the crux of this movie sort of comes into play. And it's, you know, it's like the mix of ancient magic and modern times sort of thing. I say modern. It doesn't look like the times are too modern in this trailer. So even if it was in the last three decades, that's modern enough that if ancient magic comes in, that would be, you know, a little bit weird. But it looks like a really fun and interesting movie. You got Sam Neill as a part of this movie as well. Jeffrey Walker is going to be doing the directing here and there's just so many elements to this thing that look like it's going to be so fun and so interesting and you know if you if you even have a decent fantasy movie I'm in for that already and I think that this being an MGM plus project is going to be really really fun going to be coming out on April the 8th and it looks like it's not going to be too serious either it looks like it's going to be funny it looks like it's going to be fun at times too so Keep an eye out for this one on MGM Plus. That is the portable door, and I'll let you know, you know, what my review is when that time comes. And of course, you know, anything leading up to that, I'll let you know where you'll be able to find it as well. I also want to talk about Mrs. Davis from Peacock, Peacock, which is going to be streaming its first four episodes on April the twentieth. And this one just intrigued me quite a bit because what you're doing is you're put, you're pitting, basically, you're pitting a nun against a massive AI. Mrs. Davis is actually the name of the AI that's sort of taking over the world, and everybody's just putting their trust in this artificial intelligence. And then you've got Simone, who is a nun, and her mission is to destroy this AI. But not only that, she's been tasked to also find the Holy Grail as well. So, you know, eh, no big deal or anything, right? You know, just got to go find the holy grail no big deal and again this looks like one of those things that's got a mix of action and it's got a mix of fun and there's well better betty gilpin is in this is in this thing you might remember her from glow you've got damon lindelof who's a part of this thing as well who's going to be the executive producer and the writer of the series Tara hernandez is the showrunner from the big bang theory and young sheldon so you've got a mix of comedy and action because, you know, of course, Damon Lindelof did The Watchmen and so many other things. So you've got action on one hand, you've got comedy on the other, and you've got this 
really interesting dual story of religion and artificial intelligence. Not like deep religion, but like almost in a comedic sense. So there seems to be a lot of moving parts here. And if they put them together correctly, I think this could really work and really be a lot of fun. But if they can't, it's going to be a jumbled mess. Let's just face facts here. So fingers crossed it's the former and not the latter because I want this thing to work out because it looks like it could be a ton of fun and it, like a sort of a race against time sort of thing in a certain element as well. So, yeah, that's Mrs. Davis from Peacock coming on April the 20th to the Peacock streaming service. It's already premiered at Sundance. I mean, excuse me, South by Southwest, by the way. So if you were at South by Southwest or maybe you've seen some reviews of that, I'm going to hold my thoughts until close to the premiere, though, because I don't want to spoil anything up to this point, but it looks like it could be a lot of fun just based on the trailer. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yeah, I had so many great guests once again this week. You want to catch up on everything, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram, at downandnerdy on Facebook, at downandnerdypod on TikTok. And make sure you're also subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. That really, really helps out a lot, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, wherever you want to listen. doesn't matter to me. You can also listen on our website with timestamps as well. And remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.